Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Everybody, welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get into the recap of Washington's first preseason game against the Carolina Panthers, as always, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs, whether it's F1, NASCAR, tennis, WNBA. I know there's not a lot of sports going on right now, Major League Baseball, but college football and the NFL is right around the corner. So head on over to Bet Online and use your mobile device or use their website and get 50% off your first deposit. That's using our code BELIEVE, B L E A V, again, using your mobile device or heading over to their website. Bet Online, where the game starts. So lots to get into with Washington just wrapping up preseason week one against the Carolina Panthers, and I'm juiced up. I get it, 23-21 loss. You don't want to get in the habit of losing. If this was the Baltimore Ravens, it could be a world ender. They haven't lost to get preseason games since 2015. You want to get in the habit of winning football games. But there are a ton of positives and things to be excited about from the Burgundy and Goals performance today, especially from rookie quarterback Sam Howell, which we will get to in a little bit. I want to start on the offensive side of the football and talk about Carson Wentz. Not everything, it was, wasn't was complicated for him in his first day, first really live look under fire in an NFL game against a different slew of bodies, the Carolina Panthers. It was fine. It was day one install stuff. His reads were simple. It was more of one read progressions, getting out of his hands, a lot of timing routes on the outside. He stretched it down the field a couple of times, giving his guys a few chances to make plays on the football. We saw Terry McLaurin almost come down with a 35-yard reception near the hashes in the first quarter. He let his guys make some plays, but he didn't turn the ball over, and everything was smooth when he was under center. So Carson Wentz, his first really his debut in the Burgundy and Gold, could have been much worse, could have been better. I don't know. He's out there for a couple of series, most of the first quarter, and operated, as you expect, a veteran to operate. And don't forget, he's learning a brand new offense under Scott Turner. From what he's reading pre-snap to what he's looking at during the snap at the second and third levels, he has a long way to go before we ever see this best version of Carson Wentz in the Burgundy offense. But today, he looked fine. And as we move forward into week two and into week three of the preseason before Washington faces Jacksonville in week one, you want to see those progressions being made and the expansion of the playbook. And I would like to see Jahan Dotson get involved because we didn't see him get targeted and obviously get a reception today working with the starters and Carson Wentz. So you look at the front five that started today. It was your usual faces and Charles Leno at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at left guard, and then at right tackle, Sam Cosme, Chase Roulier at center, and Trey Turner at right guard were both out. So you saw a little bit of a combination of Tyler Larson. You saw Wes Schweitzer get some snaps. It's a little bit of a mix of bodies, and we will get to the big uglies here in a little bit. But offensively, I was extremely excited about the impact that Armani Rogers had on those first few drives with Carson Wentz because we know that Logan Thomas, John Bates, and Cole Turner are dealing with injuries right now. Those are three locks for the roster and in that tight ends room. 
But who is a guy that's been stepping up in camp? It's Ben Armani Rogers and it's Ben Curtis Hodges, who you guys have out there that have been listening to the podcast have heard me talk a lot about Hodges, you know, the big 6'8 target out of Arizona State. But Armani Rogers got the first reps with the ones, and he was targeted four times within the first two series, which really tells you not just how much Carson Wentz uses the tight ends in his offense and loves having a dynamic playmaker at that flex spot. But the usage that Scott Turner wants to use in his offense, whether he wants to run not only 12 personnel with one running back and two tight ends, or even throw out some 13 personnel, if he wants to put Logan Thomas, Cole Turner, and John Bates on the field at the same time, and if one of those aforementioned players is to miss some time, if Armani Rodgers were to potentially earn a starting role as we move into the first few weeks of the season, if those guys were to miss time. But right now, it tells you a lot once we get into live reps. You can see as much as you want out in Ashburn. But guys in live reps, Armani Rogers started today and was heavily targeted and was featured over the middle of the field in the passing game. So that's something to watch as we move into this week in practice and as we move into next week against the San Kansas City Chiefs. And then from there, the running back situation, I got to address Antonio Gibson. I really don't know what to do with number 24 considering how talented he is. He worked in to the third quarter today. And if that doesn't tell you anything, it, it should tell you a lot. Antonio Gibson, the last few years, hasn't worked past the first quarter of preseason games. Brian Robinson took starters reps today and stood out and earned his carries. As you know, a hungry dog runs faster. And Brian Robinson proved that not only is he hungry for snaps, but he can produce and compete with starters. He was facing the starters for Carolina within that front seven. Yeah, they didn't have J.C. Horn on the outside. They didn't have Derek Brown along their front four. Big D tackle that they drafted high a few years ago out of Auburn. But Brian Robinson runs hard. He runs through tackles. He consistently falls forward and got in the end zone today. And that's a ton of positivity, not just moving in to week two of the preseason, but by Gibson fumbling again today inside his own 20, inside the shadow of his own goal line, putting the ball on the ground. It's the easiest way to find yourself holding a clipboard and on the bench. And I don't care how dynamic or talented that he is, you cannot put the football on the ground. And we immediately saw Rivera took him out and put Brian Robinson in, and he produced. Brian Robinson, four years in the SEC at Alabama, didn't fumble once. Comes the NFL, I get it. It's preseason week one. I, I completely get it take it with a grain of salt. No one's going to look back if Brian Robinson has a bad season this regular season to look back and say, oh, he was good against Carolina in week one of the preseason. We're not going to look at that in any way. But it is positivity, and it's a guy that moved up the depth chart by not even playing his first snap today because Gibson put the ball on the ground. And you saw him come into action and produce from the moment he was on the field. And you can't ask for much more from the rookie out of Alabama. On the outside, Terry McLaurin was Terry McLaurin. Got a little bit of work. I just talked about Jahan. I would like to see him get a little bit more involved. I want to look at the tape and see how he looked with his releases and ability to create separation. Or there were just, like I said earlier with Carson Wentz, a lot of the stuff was timing things over the middle, targeting the tight ends, feeding his running backs. Everything was simplified for Carson Wentz today. It was day one install. Very, very simple offense. But I want to go back and look at the film so I can get a little bit deeper dive as far as how Jahan actually did beyond the box score. But Curtis Samuel looked good, had a had a couple catches, was targeted a few times. He looked smooth. 
and but it's also keeping him healthy for more than one game. It's keeping him healthy for a full 17-game slate and a full 18 weeks or potentially more if Washington were to qualify for the postseason this year. But he looked smooth. He was cutting, cutting hard. Obviously got tackled and popped up right away. We need to see that. I know those are little things and that you expect something to happen right away, but we haven't seen him a lot. We didn't see him much last year. I was, obviously, he was dealing with the groin injury. He's explosive when he's able to stay healthy and on the, on the football field. And yeah, he runs a lot of that orbit motion look that Scott Turner likes to do in his offense where sometimes he'll feed him the jet sweep, sometimes he won't. Does a lot of things pre-snap with his speed to keep defenses honest horizontally. But him, with his ability to create vertically and horizontally beyond the line of scrimmage, really adds a dynamic that opens up and expands the playbook for Scott Turner. So Curtis Samuel looked good today, and it's just step-by-step and stacking days for him as we move forward towards the regular season. So from there, I want to talk about the offensive line beyond the starters, because you guys were watching the broadcast like I was. I wasn't at FedEx Field today. Doc Walker was unbelievable in the booth. You know, he's an old, hard-nosed, gritty. He was a tight end, obviously, during the days when Washington was in its glory days. He wants to see hard-nosed ground and pound, put your face mask through somebody's chest plate type of football. And the offensive line, again, John Matsko, you know, I'm just going to end up getting a a tattoo of John Matsko's name on my arm because I feel like I talk about him every single podcast. But it's the guys winning in the trenches in the front five, and it does not matter what bodies are up front. Continually, Washington was able to create space and a clean pocket for Wentz, for Taylor Heineke, for Sam Howell today. And then you ask him to move vertical and displace bodies in the run game. And yeah, at times they were caught up by the line of scrimmage and some guys sneaked through from the second level and they lost some reps. It's going to happen. But most of the time, you'd say about 70, almost 75% of the time, they were moving bodies at the goal line. Brian Robinson's touchdown and Sam Howell's rushing touchdown was a perfect example of that. A couple third and ones, a couple fourth and ones in the middle portions of the game. Washington was moving bodies along the interior, and that is old Washington, back to the days of Joe Jacoby and Russ Grimm and the Hogs just man on man, I'm stronger than you. We're going to run it down your throat. And Washington had that today and from a majority of the game. That was great to see. Rookie Chris Paul from Tulsa was impressive for me today, moving bodies left and right, sealing well, using his hands, winning with his hands first in the interior before the defensive tackles were able to counter his counters. Did a great job in the interior for his first reps. I was very, very happy with how the trenches play today because that's where it starts and then we know from the offensive side of the ball how the trenches are and how important they are on the defensive side of the ball for Washington that's what I want to go next with the play of Phil Mathis and I've been you guys know me I've been a little bit of a skeptic from the Phil Mathis pick back in April I had a day three grade on him I was higher on Travis Jones from UConn who went in the third round to Baltimore who looked good in their first preseason game just a few days ago But Phil Mathis was extremely, extremely impressive again today, throwing Cade Mays, the rookie out of Tennessee, out of the way. Now, he wasn't working against the starters, but he was overpowering. And that's what you expect him to be if he's getting reps in the third quarter like he was against the third and fourth stringers 
of the Panthers' front five. Throwing guards out of the way, taking running backs to the dirt, showcasing that physicality and that ability to not just claw gaps in the run game, but also push vertically and create some chaos in the pocket. So I was extremely impressed, not just with his power, but his fluidity and footwork in his lower half to consistently slide up and down the defensive line, just create bodies in space, take away those running lanes and allow linebackers to fill. Phil Mathis is a stock up guy for me following his professional debut. Another guy that stood out for me along that front four is another rotational D tackle slash DN and Daniel Weiss had a nice pressure today, had a sack. Number 92 was all over the place for Washington today and it was extremely exciting because he's not somebody making a ton of money or someone that's expected to have a massive massive role on this front four this year because they obviously John Allen, Deron Payne, and Phil Mathis are going to holster a lot of the snaps but what happens if any of those guys were to miss time? We've talked about David Bada on the interior and the limited rotational depth that Washington has right now at that spot. And David Wise, who played one three technique, and I saw him even out earning some snaps as a five tech on an occasion, was at times dominant, running hash to hash. Didn't matter if it in the passing game, chasing down guys, getting his hands up in passing lanes. You couldn't help but focus on number 92 today. His name consistently popped up on the screen. I was extremely excited about his debut of this year after the last few years in Washington where he hasn't worked that much. He hasn't earned a lot of snaps, but the same thing is with player development. Warren Sapp, Ryan Kerrigan have been in the building a lot the last few weeks. Warren Sapp obviously is a Hall of Fame defensive tackle, understands the nuances of winning within the trenches of the defensive line. Having that presence and then working under John Allen and Deron Payne, getting better and better each day, It's an early flash, but Daniel Wise looked really good today, and it makes me feel just a tick better about his potential moving in to the regular season this year. From there, I want to take a step back to the linebackers, and no, was Jamin Davis all over the field? Was he making tackles here, making plays here on running backs, tight ends? No, he wasn't. But you look at the box score, if you do scout box scores, just take some time and look at the film as well, it's not great to just focus on a box score and see if a guy played well or not, especially when we're in the preseason and you see guys working with limited snaps. But Jamin Davis looked more comfortable in his reads from what I saw in working downhill. Last year, it was a lot of bull in a china shop. This year, and just from today, the game looks a little bit slower for him and what he's reading. He's trusting his eyes, trusting his processing, trusting his film work to allow his feet to slow down and play at the same speed as what his mind is processing. And once that can translate to the regular season, that will just allow him to play at a higher speed, that 4-4 speed that we saw so often at Kentucky. So him, Cole Holcomb looked fine, made a few plays. Um, I do have a criticism of David Mayo. I have not been high on David Mayo. I continue to not be high. We saw his lapses in coverage as we moved into the second half of today's game. Sure, he's a veteran guy. Sure, he could be a locker room voice. But Washington needs pop at the linebacker spot where they need that depth. And I just don't see how David Mayo could come on the field as a sub-package linebacker and you ask him to work in coverage and do so with some ability and not just be on the field as a jersey Uh, he was getting beat by third and fourth stringers today down the field and you look at Nathan Gary and sure he had the almost fumble recovery in the fourth fourth quarter and being around the ball it's 
good. It's a positive. You know, get a pat on the back. But missed tackles in the hole, and it was limited work. But missed tackles in the hole, you, you just can't have it, especially when you're someone like him who was brought in as a guy that had some success in Philadelphia, as someone that came on the field as that sub-package linebacker and working back in coverage. And then when he's needed to fill in the run game, a building to make tackles moving downhill. I didn't see that today from him. He's brand new to the roster. I'm not even sure if he understands all the defensive calls now. There's no possible way that he could. But just reading and reacting right now from what I saw today, I got to see more from Nathan Gary to sit here and assume that he could be that third or fourth linebacker potentially on the field if Washington wants to deploy Davis Holcomb and they bring down Derek Forrest or Percy Butler and they want another linebacker on the field. I need to see more from Nathan Gary. I do. Again, it's early. He's just learning the defense. I completely understand that, but he's a veteran in this league. He's seen a lot of different offenses and how they want to work conceptually. And he was facing Matt Corral, who's a rookie in this league. So things were pretty vanilla from an offensive standpoint. But I just can't accept missed tackles in the hole when it could have been a three-yard gain that turns into a eight- or nine-yard gain. I just can't accept it as a guy that's working for a roster spot right now. From there, I want to move back to the secondary. We didn't see Benjamin St. Juice play today. That was kind of upsetting as we moved closer to kickoff as he was ruled out. But we did see Kendall Fuller. We did see William Jackson. I'm still remain on the fence with Kendall Fuller. I still want him to prove me wrong this year. Uh, I expect a lot from him as someone that's in his second second stint in Washington is one of the faces on that back end alongside obviously with William Jackson on the opposite side and a big question mark remains in DC with the corners behind Fuller Jackson and St. Juice are obviously the three locks in this roster Danny Johnson Corn Elder Christian Holmes but I want to talk about number 16 Stephen Parker I know he's been around the league a little bit I know you guys were talking to me on Twitter Oh, Stephen Parker is kind of a preseason standout. He's this, he's that. But all I saw was someone that was flying around the ball, hard hits. His helmet came off on one of his hits. It's just a guy that finds himself around the football. And multiple times when he was targeted in coverage, making plays on the football and was either aggressive at the point at the catch point or he was making plays on the football to where it wasn't being allowed to be completed. He was also... Showing some pop stars taunting the Panthers' sideline a little bit, talking some smack to receivers. I like that kind of mentality on the back end. You see it from the Rams with Jalen Ramsey. C.J. Gardner-Johnson with the Saints does it a ton. D.J. Swearinger used to do it as a safety here in Washington. Just that mentality at the third level. I like that a lot. And if you're going to play yourself into snaps... He got his snaps and he got some work. And that's all you want for if you're a guy at the bottom of the depth chart right now, like Parker is, and you compete. I don't care who you're competing against. They're all NFL guys on the field. They obviously did something to get here. It's not like Parker didn't he didn't play college ball, just picked him off the streets for no reason. Hey, can you, you know, play in the Burgundy Gold for today? No. He competed at Oklahoma, was a UDFA just a few years ago. He's been around the league. Minnesota, Dallas is just a few stops that he's been. But now he's in DC. In a room that does need depth because Cornelder wasn't great today. Christian Holmes is a rookie. Danny Johnson was targeted a ton today. I don't know if they want him on the perimeter or working primarily over the nickel. That could be Benjamin St. Juiced primarily this year, which if it is, and that's his spot locked up because I think he'll be in on at least 80% of the offensive snaps if he's healthy this year. But they need depth 
And we know that offenses want to deploy four or five wide receivers that can that can run and that can go and compete and produce. And you need to counter that on the defensive side of the ball. And if Kendall Fuller isn't able to, at times, yeah, sure, he, he showed some pop last year as a better coverage corner towards the back end of the year. But you're a starting corner in a defense that's expected to be potentially a top five to seven unit in football. I got to see a little bit more from you. And same with William Jackson, high-paid free agent. They got to be stalwarts on the outside. And I know that transfers down all the way to the second level and to the first level with guys being able to get after the quarterback. But the CBs right now for Washington are a little bit unknown. Got some veterans, got a second-year guy in St. Juice, but the guys behind them, I don't know what the roster is going to look like as we move forward towards opening week against the Jaguars and who could be the fourth, fifth, sixth corner potentially having to work into snaps if people especially were to get injured and come on the field as core special teams guys which we understand matters so secondary right now i i don't i would not be surprised if washington is aggressive as other teams look to make cuts whether they're veterans whether they're young players with some upside keep an eye out as far as washington making some moves there as we move in to the next few weeks but i want to jump over to the opposite side of the ball and i want to highlight Sam Howell. We haven't talked about him yet. Uh, he was complete. He was outstanding. And again, grain of salt, working against the threes and fours. But we know how tough he is. You watch him last year at Carolina. You turn on his game against Kenny Pickett when they're at Pitt in the rain. North Carolina wasn't who they were in 2020. When it was Howell, Deami Brown, it was Daz Newsom, Michael Carter. They didn't have that last year. It was Howell, Josh Downs, and the two guards, Josh Azudu, Marcus McKeithen, they're with the Giants now. But Sam Howell had to battle it out and really holster that Tar Heels offense all year by himself last fall. And we knew he's tough and he's, he's a gamer. He brought them back today. It's rushing touchdowns, creating with his legs, creating off script, keeping his eyes downfield. At times when the Panthers defensive line was able to get through, bouncing off of wimpy tacklers making plays down the field, both with his feet and with his arm. He had easy gas. We've talked about it a lot and just what he's been able to do at training camp. And he watched his arm at Carolina being able to pump throws into every window at every single depth within the defense. That's something that you can work with and you like. And Scott Turner expanded his playbook. You can see kind of conceptually and schematically what Washington did moving into that fourth quarter as the game you know, got down to its winding moments. They did some unique stuff on the offensive side of the ball, like two-point conversion that Sam Howell had to Alex Erickson, a little crossing route with some pick. and They just did some, some unique things offensively that the Panthers obviously weren't ready for with their fourth stringers on the field. But all you could ask for is Sam Howell is to compete, and he did that and then some and almost taking Washington back as I'm sure some of you are watching the game getting a little sleepy as we moved into the second half and had six points on the board Sam Howell provided some excitement and I know some of you out there are probably watching a lot of Nationals baseball this summer there's reason to be excited with Washington you know it's been a long summer without any sports and today Burgundy and Gold you know posted some raise a banner of optimism for this fall there are a lot of guys to get excited about and one thing i do want to add about sam howell is that he is someone now is he he might not even earn a snap this year taylor heineke threw a pick today sure is he an elite backup quarterback still 
I would classify him as that. I don't think there's many backup quarterbacks I would rather have in the NFL than Taylor Heineke, but he still has things to work on, and it obviously shows you who Carson Wentz is and how much better he is than the rookie in Howell and in Heineke, even though he's had a full year now of starters experience in the NFL. But Sam Howell is only going to improve. And from an arm talent perspective, I think he has more arm talent than Taylor Heineke from using his legs and off script. I think he offers some unique ability in that aspect. But it is Wentz, it is Heineke, and it is Howell. And again, I don't know right now if Sam Howell is going to earn snaps this year. But you can bet some good money that the hype train on Howell right now is gathering its members and leaving the station soon because he showcased extremely well today. And whether he works in Kansas City and Taylor Heineke gets a less amount of work and how we'll get some work with the twos and you maybe even roll him out there if you don't want to play Wentz at all or if you want to work him into maybe a series at most against Kansas City as you work into to week two of the preseason. Let Howell get some work with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson or, or just let him get some more work with guys that are higher on the depth chart and against better defenses to kind of give you an evaluation period as to what you could potentially expect if you had to throw him in there under fire of an NFL game this fall. He is a rookie. He still has a long way to go. And yeah, slipping to the fifth round, was he should have been drafted much higher. In my book, yes, on my board, 100%. But he did slip to the fifth round for a reason. And when guys slip, it's usually the NFL has them down there for a reason. And usually it it turns out usually how it should. That's The board falls where it falls. And there's diamonds in the rough every single year. Could Sam Howell be a diamond in the rough down the road? Absolutely. But am I going to sit here and overreact to a two-rushing touchdown performance in preseason week one against four stringers of the Carolina Panthers? Absolutely not. You know, I want to stay as real as possible here with you guys, but there is 100% reason to be excited with this being his professional debut and how he's going to progress under the tutelage of Scott Turner and Ron Rivera and the weapons that he will have to work with, especially when they work down to that 53-man roster and he's thrown to Terry and Jahan and Deami Brown, Curtis Samuel, Cam Sims, Logan Thomas, the names go on and on at practice I mean, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, all those guys every single day. So really the main theme with today was Sam Howell's performance. I really was impressed with Phil Mathis along the defensive interior. The front five, no matter who was out there, looked extremely good. I like Curtis Samuel staying healthy. And no one as a whole, as of now, got banged up significantly. Brian Robinson stood out, ran hard, tough, ran through people's chest plate it's what i want to see from b-rob that's what we've been hearing throughout camp it's what we obviously saw with him in the sec championship game and all his career at alabama there's just today was a positive day and a step forward for this washington franchise just because of the new uniforms the helmets they looked extremely clean I, I underestimated how good they were going to look. They look good on the mannequins. They look good in the promo stuff. But seeing them on the field and in action, they look extremely clean. And Washington succeeds in amounts that we really didn't expect this year. I just going to say, oh, Washington uniforms, they're a good team. They got good uniforms. The helmets look clean. We heard that the stadium, most likely they'll be in a new stadium by 2027 today. Jason Wright, the team president, talked about how revenue 
is the largest it's been. They've made the most in season ticket sales and other avenues sent most since 2005. There's positive steps for the organization. And those are good things that you want to hear as you move into week one of the preseason. But on the field, yes, what I would like to see them win, of course. But it matters on September 11th when they face the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field. But today was a positive step for a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball and a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball. But lastly, I want to talk a little bit about the teams in the wide receiver six spot. Kyrick McGowan looked good working with Sam Howell today. Alex Erickson caught that two-point conversion. Also returned punts at first in the first half. I think we need some more juice back there. Returning punts. I, I Looking back to the last few years and... We saw DeAndre Carter last year do an excellent job, even years past, and Brandon Banks, Andre Roberts. I remember the years when we put tight end Niles Paul back returning kicks. I don't know if we have that dynamic athlete speed-wise to put back there. Do you, Is it going to be Jahan Dotson? Is it going to be Curtis Samuel? I don't think so. De'Ami Brown? No. You're obviously not putting Terry McLaurin back there returning punts. It's not happening. Do they have the speed to do so? Do they have the hands, playmaking ability? Absolutely. But Alex Erickson compared to Dax Milne today, Dax Milne returned, I believe it's all one punt and created about 15, 20 yards down the sideline and created some juice and flipped the field just a little bit. That's what you want. And nowadays when punters are, their hang times are higher, their distance of where they're punting is, is farther. You got to have a guy that's going to be able to create on special teams and be able to flip the field for you a little bit. You have a weapon and punt on punt, punt, team in Tressway, one of the best punters in football, especially as a lefty and returners talk about all the time how the ball comes down differently off of Tressway's foot, which is why you see a lot of guys muff punts when Tress is kicking. But on the flip side of it, at POR, you need someone that can create. And Dax Millen showed more for me than Alex Erickson today. And I, I get it. Alex Erickson's close with Ron Rivera, his time with Carolina, whatever, whatever. Dax Milne was a seventh round pick out of BYU last year. This is his second year. Showed some pop on offense today. Has looked decent in camp. He's got sure hands. Got a little bit of juice on the outside. And he showed that today in punt return. So that's something to monitor moving forward as we move into next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. But that's going to wrap up today's pod. I think we covered a little bit of everything on both sides of the ball and some special team stuff as we move in to week two against the Chiefs. But it's week one of the preseason. You're more so focused on placing guys in positions to compete and produce and seeing what you have within the depths of your roster. So we will have a podcast out for you on Thursday, previewing Washington's week two matchup against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I hope you all had a great weekend. I will talk to you in the middle of the week. Again, lots of positives from today. It is week one of the preseason. Take it with a grain of salt, but lots to be excited about. The season is right around the corner. Felt like fall today. Burgundy and gold look good. Unis look good. The helmets look good. And a lot of steps made as of today with certain guys in certain positions that played well and should be able to compete for snaps as we move into the regular season. So as always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you have hope you had a great weekend and a great start to your work week. I will talk to you guys on Thursday. This is Commanding the Huddle. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.